So Chad mentioned I, I work at New Life. I'm the worship arts and communications director there. And uh, I'm married. My wife and I have been married for 16 years, and we've got two kids. Yeah, it's <laughs> wave maker, miracle worker. Um, we've, got two, we've got two kids. Um, they're 12 and 8. And while I work at New Life, I've only been working there for two years. This is my first real job at a church. I, my background's in business, actually. So while I've only worked at church for a couple of years, I grew up in church. I grew up in a small Baptist church learning about the stories of the biblical heroes on flannel board. And anyone who's, who's grown up in the church and uh, like over 30, do you know what flannel board is? Yes. So you'd have a felt board with like little 2D Jesus and 2D Peter, and that's how you learned all these biblical stories. And it's great until you read the Bible as an adult and you realize that these biblical heroes weren't really heroes at all. And in fact, they were deeply flawed humans struggling to keep a covenant with a God who was bent on rescuing them from themselves. And if that sounds familiar, it's because not much has changed over the years. We're still just deeply flawed humans trying to keep in step with the God who's trying to save us from ourselves. And the thing about the flannel board is that we've got no hope if we're following a two-dimensional Jesus. No hope. And what we tend to do is we tend to dilute this biblical story and make Christianity about just simply being nice, good people. And there's a place for that, but... I think we miss the power of the message when we reduce it to that. You see, these biblical heroes weren't necessarily heroes, but God used them in extraordinary ways, and he wants to do the same thing with you and me, and that's encouraging. See, the problem, though, is that many of us, we, we don't believe that we can be used by God because we have a hard time reconciling what the Bible says is true about us with our daily experiences. I was at a dinner party years back, and my wife and I were the only Christians in the room. And kids were young, and they were running around like banshees, just terrorizing the house. And so adults do what adults do in those parties. You're just hunkered over the appetizers, stuffing as much food in your mouths as you possibly can while the kids are distracted. So we're going around the room, and we're just updating each other on our lives. And one friend was, was saying, oh, you know, I'm using the proceeds from my local business to help some sports uh, youth programs. And another was helping out at a homeless shelter. And, uh, you know, another friend was adopting a child, and they get to me, and it's like, oh, what's going on with you? I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm like barely hanging on. My kids are making me rethink the goodness of God, and I'm 38, and I have no idea what I'm doing with my life, <laughs> you know? And I'm the Christian. I'm the Christian. And in that moment, I thought, my non-Christian friends are better Christians than I am. And that hit hard. And so I, I had this... I grew up in the church, I know what the Bible says, but my daily experiences weren't reflecting that. And 1 Peter uh, 3.15 says to always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. John Tyson says this, far too often, Christians spend time working on the answer for a question people are simply not asking because our lives look identical to those around us. Ugh. You see, when we make Christianity about simply being good, nice people, we reduce it to a religion of cultural morality, and we can get discouraged when we don't stack up. But God has more for us. Amen? Amen. See, it's not about being 
nice versus mean. It's about being alive versus dead. That's the truth of it. And the, the Holy Spirit is the presence and the power by which we live fully alive in Jesus. See, you're more than good people. You are set apart. So let's, let's get into the Bible here. First Peter 2, 7 through 9. I know this is probably a familiar one, but let's just, let's just read it. First Peter 2, 7 through 9. All right. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him, Jesus. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests. You are a holy nation, but most days I don't feel like a priest or royalty or a holy nation. I just feel tired. And so what, what gives? In 1957, it was 12 years after World War II, uh, GIs were coming home from the war and they wanted to start new lives for themselves. And they wanted to do it outside of the cities that they were raised in. Problem was, there, were, there was no suburbs back then. So they wanted to move out of town, and so America kind of had a problem on their hands. They needed to build a lot of homes really quickly and on the cheap. And there's a company called Levin and Sons that was based out of New York. Uh, they were a building company, and they said, I think we could figure this out. And so they built the first ever American suburb called Levittown in New York, and it still exists today. Problem solved. Bunch of homes, quick, on the cheap. So these men and women move into these homes, and at that time, two-thirds of American women were working out of the home as housewives. And so they had a home, but they were discouraged that their home looked just like their neighbor's home, looked just like their neighbor's home, looked just like their neighbor's home. 750 ranch-style house with two trees in the front yard. So they wanted a way of sprucing up their homes, right? Okay. Enter Don Featherstone. He's a recent graduate of Worcester Art School. He's a sculptor. He gets hired by this company called Union Products. Union Products is a plastics manufacturing company, and they've just developed this revolutionary 3D mold injection technology. Basically, they can make three-dimensional plastics. So the first, first project, they say, hey, Don, can you, uh, can you make us a duck? And he says, yeah, I, think I can make you a duck. So he makes a duck. For the second project, he's looking for a little bit more inspiration, so he turns to National Geographic. He's flipping through National Geographic and sees the vibrancy of the colors in the tropics, the brights and all this kind of stuff, and he sees a pink flamingo. And in 1957, Don Featherstone designs the plastic pink flamingo that we've seen in yards across America for decades. And, and we laugh, not because of what the pink flamingo, was, pink flamingo was designed to be, but because of what it has become. Right. It was designed to be a real solution to a real problem. These people could buy for $2.43 in the Sears catalog, you could buy a pair of birds, and Don Featherstone says, and spruce up your humdrum house with a piece of tropical elegance. <laughs> but somewhere over the decades, the pink flamingo 
has now become known as kitschy and cheesy and kind of a symbol for everything that's wrong with American subculture. And the same thing has happened with Christians. We were born to rule and reign and be different, and we become plastic. And we've lost the purpose for which we were created, and God wants to call us back to that. You see, when we lose sight of the vision of Jesus, of the kingdom of heaven, and the redemption and restoration of all things, we slip into a lethargic, plastic caricature of disciple that has no hope of transforming our world because it has no power. So we need the Holy Spirit. And we are being shaped. The only question, our choice is, what is shaping us? Because we are all being shaped by the culture around us, and we get to choose what is going to shape us. Okay, so we're talking about presence and power and discipleship and being like Jesus, but who cares? Why? It's because our cultural narrative is failing us. It is not working. Over the last 30 years, there has been a 50% increase in unhappiness. We're a nation crippled with anxiety and depression. Anxiety affects 18% of American adults and 25% of children between the ages of 13 and 18. In 2016, there were twice as many suicides as homicides, and it's the second leading cause of death for people ages 10 to 34. Our culture, our children are literally dying for a better way to live. Winston Churchill said to the graduating class of Harvard in 1943 that the empires of the future will be empires of the mind. And I think Jesus wants to transform our minds. Let's look at Romans 12. Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters... I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. And then you will learn to know what God's will for you. What is God's will for you? It's good and pleasing and perfect. Empires of the future will be empires of the mind. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Well, that all sounds fine and good, but how do we do it? How do we live in light of our biblical identity? What actually differentiates us Christians amongst anyone else? And how do we live fully alive in Jesus? So Chad said, I wrote this book because this, I, I couldn't answer the question. And it really bothered me. I'd been a Christian for 30-some years, and I, I didn't know. I'd go into church or, I don't know, I accepted Jesus, but I wasn't living any differently. My life didn't look different from those around me. So the book goes into a lot more detail, but um, I'll give you a Cliff Notes version. I think that there are three things necessary to regain the purpose for which we were created. The first one is that we are submitted to the lordship of Jesus. The second is that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the third is that we're engaged in our community. It's not very sexy, I know. It's actually really hard. It'll cost you your whole life. But there's just no way around it. I just, I don't see another way forward. If we're going to transform the culture and give people a new and better way of living that Jesus is calling us to. So we're here to talk about presence and power. 
So let's talk about the Holy Spirit. Amen. You guys a Holy Spirit kind of church? Yes. Can't tell. All right. Yes. Quiz time. Where in the Bible is the Holy Spirit first mentioned? Genesis chapter 1, the second verse of the Bible, Holy Spirit. Let's read it. Genesis 1, it's the first one. Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. Verse 2. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Now, I think if you really want to understand the Holy Spirit, you have to understand chickens. I know it's a hard left, but try to follow me on this one. My wife and I have had chickens for years, and it's completely utilitarian. We feed them, they give us eggs, that's it. So, that verse hovering over the surface of the waters, in some older translations, says uh, the Holy Spirit brooded over the surface of the waters. Anyone familiar with that? Brooded over the surface of the waters. Okay. So you can have a broody hen. A brooding hen is a chicken who has laid an egg and will not get off that thing for anything. If, if you try to get an egg from a broody hen, you will know immediately because it will peck you. They puff up their feathers to look intimidating. They're awful creatures. Um, so when I would have to get an egg from a broody hen, I would have to get a stick and physically, I'm not that strong, but I'd have to physically push the hen off of the egg to get the egg. Broody hen. And for, that's maybe a weird, trans, a weird way of like thinking about it, but it, it helps me for this reason. The Holy Spirit brooded over the surface of the waters, almost acting like an incubator over God's good world, committed to the birthing of God's good world. So the Holy Spirit gives life and energizes and empowers that which the Father speaks. Okay. So, function of the Holy Spirit, and we could, I mean, we could preach for years about this, but that's short version. Okay. Holy Spirit. Now we talk about hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Okay, John 10, 22 to 27. John 10, 22 to 27. Now it was winter and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. He was in the temple walking through the section known as Solomon's Colonnade. The people surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, just tell us plainly. Jesus replied, I've already told you and you don't believe me. The proof is in the work I do in my Father's name, but you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. See, the relationship between sheep and a shepherd is one of recognizing and trusting the voice of the shepherd. And that comes from time and experience. I mentioned I'm married. I can pick my wife's voice out of a crowd of 100 people because I've been in a covenant relationship with her for 16 years. That time and experience is the only way. 
unfortunately, there's no silver bullet for hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. It just takes time, but there is no substitute for pursuit. So it's not about how long you listen every day. Although quantity does have a way of impacting quality, it's about how you listen. We need to listen for revelation and encounter, not simply for knowledge. See, the Pharisees knew a lot about the scripture, and even the demons recognized the voice of Jesus. But it's those who had an encounter with him that were transformed. We don't make time for this stuff. So we have to slow down. In a culture of busy and hurry, we just have to live differently. Did you know that 75% of Americans sleep next to our phones? 90% of us check our phones immediately upon waking. 40% of Americans sleep less than six hours a night. And 37% of us, percent of us take fewer than seven days of vacation per year. We just have to slow down and make time for this stuff. Time and experience is the only way. So we're made to be set apart to be kings and priests of a subversive kingdom set on transforming the human spirit. But I'm here to tell you, you can't do it. (laughs) Be encouraged, church. You're just not good enough. And I'm not either. And for me, that's freeing to know that we cannot do this on our own. It must be the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. If we have any hope. There is this amazing story that's one of my favorite in the whole Bible in 2 Chronicles 20. And it's a story of King Jehoshaphat. He's a king of Judah. And he hears that there's an army that's marching toward them that is just set on obliterating them. So Jehoshaphat, he's crazy. Okay, here's what you wouldn't do. You wouldn't say, oh man, there's an army coming, they're going to kill us. I know, I'm going to declare fast. That that's what he does. He declares a fast. Now, if it were me, I mean, we're in Santa Maria, I'd give tri-tip to all of, my, all of my soldiers. I want them well-fed. I don't want any hangry soldiers trying to fight this army that's coming against us. Tri-tip on me. Nope, he says we're going to fast. Second thing Jehoshaphat does is he sends the musicians out in front of the army. <laughs> I'm a musician. You do not want me, I'm built for skinny jeans and coffee shops, not going in ahead of the army, all right? But Jehoshaphat knows that God's ways are not our ways, and we have to approach things differently if we have any hope of victory. So Jehoshaphat says this in one of the most beautiful passages in all of scripture. He says, we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So the worshipers go out ahead of the army, and they sing a verse out of Psalms, give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love endures forever. And it was the goodness and the love of God that was their war cry. It was their war cry. And it says, when they began to sing and pray, the Lord set ambushes against their enemies, and their enemies were defeated. Jesus is the only hope for the world, and he has chosen you, kings and priests, to be part of this solution. But we can't do it without the Holy Spirit. And often we just don't make time to develop that relationship with the Spirit because of the way we've run our lives. And so it requires discipline to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. 
You see, we've, uh, especially in the American church, we've based our entire lives around a book we don't read. And I'm not judging anyone. I was guilty of it for the longest time. And I'll tell you what I did. I would say about all kinds of spiritual disciplines. Well, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll read the Bible when I want to read the Bible because I don't want to dishonor you by doing it out of just discipline. I want to have a passion for it. Yeah. Yeah, don't act like you've not been there. Uh, my wife and I, we, we've, we've been to counselors for our marriage a, a bunch of times because newsflash marriage is hard. <laughs> so we were t- we've just talked to people who have been down the road longer than us and just have the wisdom. And uh, we were talking with a couple who've been married for a long time. And my wife and I are not touchy-feely at all. And they were saying, you should just hold hands in public as you're walking down the street. I'm like, ugh, Gross. <laughs> Um, so I, we didn't do that. I dismissed that advice, but I applied it to my spiritual life. And so I thought, okay, what if I, what if I just read the Bible out of discipline? It's like, it's like husbands, when your wife says, I just want you to want to do the dishes. Like, and nobody wants to do the dishes. (laughs) Nobody wants to do the dishes. But you do it out of discipline. And I don't know about dishes, but what I found in, in spending time in the Word and in the presence of God, the discipline brought on a passion that wouldn't have been possible without the discipline. And so I just think that we have to root ourselves in the Word and the Spirit. And if you're doing it out of discipline and obedience, that's a start. And the passion will come out of it. See, the thing that, I've, the thing that I believe is that It's your risk-taking for the kingdom of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and displayed in your communities that the world is waiting to see. You're the only one who can do what you can do. So read your Bibles. You know, get alone with the Lord. Pray for the Holy Spirit to move in yourself, in your families, in your communities. Come to the altar. Whatever it takes. You're the only one who can do what you can do. Let's spend, I want to invite the ministry team up. I'm going to stop here, actually, and I just want to spend some time in prayer. I think if you're anything like me, you maybe felt like you're not good enough, you're disqualified, but it just couldn't be further from the truth. God's plan A, which has not changed, is to invite you and me into his redemptive processes in the world. It says that we're kings and priests. There's a rulership, but then there's also a restorative, redemptive quality of what we do. And it has to be both. It has to be both. So if you're feeling like maybe you're just stuck, I want you to come forward. If you feel like if you feel like you don't deserve the love of God, if you feel like you don't deserve to be invited in to his transformational process in the world, I want you to come forward. If you feel like maybe like the pink flamingo, you've just been left out on the lawn too long and just it's plastic and you just need a fresh pouring out of the Holy Spirit, Just come forward.
We just want to spend some time in prayer and see what the Lord does with it. But just come on forward if you want some prayer. You are kings. You're priests. You're a holy nation. And our mandate is to live into the truth of our calling. so that we can repair the world around us. Our culture is dying for a better way of living, and we believe that Jesus is the answer. Yes, we come to you, Jesus. You're drawing us, calling us to you this morning. settle for cheap imitation when you offer us the real thing you've given us your spirit you've given us your spirit so pull us close of the future, it will be empires of the mind, and you feel like you're losing the battle of your mind, just come forward. jobs and move to a foreign country. He's just asking us to do more where we're at, to grow more where we're planted, where we're rooted. So Jesus, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you just help us to grow where we've been planted? Would you use us in greater ways in our families, in our workplaces? We want to see People come to know you. We come to you, Jesus. Find that we are welcomed here. Welcome here. Here in your arms of mercy. Your arms of deliverance. We're welcomed here. Welcome here in your arms of mercy. 